The world has experienced severe loss for the last two years. COVID changed the lives of families around the world as a whole. I can relate to this devastation. In April 2020, I lost my mom to COVID. On this episode, our guest Clint Hatton will teach us how we can rise from the ashes of tragedy and help us navigate and overcome personal loss and disappointment. Clint Hatton is an author and motivational speaker, personal development and leadership coach. He is the founder of Big Bold Brave in McKinney, Texas. He has been coaching individuals and teams for over 20 years with a proven track record of helping people grow personally and achieve success and build healthier relationships. Clint recently, Clint recently published his first book, Big Bold Brave, How to Live Courageously in a Risky World. Clint is passionate about inspiring others in the aftermath of great disappointment to give their pain a purpose that flips the script and breathes new life into relationships, health, business, and finances. Clint helps people identify their faulty belief systems and creates a plan to help priorities and to keep priorities in order continue and continue to grow into the fullness of who they are and who they were created to be. Follow our show and bookmark our podcast so you don't miss out on our fantastic Matrix mentors. Good afternoon, Clint. It's an honor to meet you. I'm so glad to meet you too. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, so I, I've been on a bit of a journey. I, I'm originally from Southern California. I grew up in uh, a northern part of Los Angeles County, now called Santa Clarita, and lived there for the first 19 years of my life. And then I moved to Northern California, like really far north um, California, to a rural place called Redding, California, and was there for about a dozen years. So I spent quite a bit of my life as a Californian, but in 1997, I moved to Dallas, Texas, and things kind of changed from there. That's where I met my beautiful bride of almost 20 years. Uh, that's where my three boys came from, and uh, life life got really good when I hit Texas. So we bounced around a little bit, though. We've we've lived in Louisiana, we've lived in Washington State, uh, but we've been back here in a city called McKinney, Texas, which is North Dallas, for the last uh, eight years. That's wonderful. How, how do you do like the transition from California to Texas? Yeah, well, man, great question. It was in 1997, so it's been a minute, right? <laughs> and uh, California probably has changed a lot since then as well. But I think what was really interesting is when I moved to Texas, you know, there's this... Um, this aura about it that people have of Texas being everything's big which is true because all you got to do is order a meal here and everything is big. You get a gallon sized drink, you get a plate that's like three servings too large. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to Texas just being bigger than life in many ways. But I think for me, the most compelling thing was, is there was just so many friendly people that would just greet you and say hello on the street and smile. And, you know, I, my experience at that time in California was that was not as common. So I think the first thing I had to get used to was just that. Um, and then the other side of it, as much as I love it here in Texas, I lived in a part of Northern California that was really beautiful. And so Texas, if you've been to Dallas, have you been to Dallas before? Yeah. Absolutely. So then, you know, our, we don't have much to look at other than buildings, right? There's no, there's no real mountains. There's uh, only trees that have been planted for so long. And so we don't have a lot of that, but so that was, that was kind of a big switch too of living, you know, in a pretty flat place, but all in all, we, we love it here in Texas. I love to hear that. Uh, Northern California is so beautiful. The hiking over there is like another world. So I can only imagine going from having like a jungle next to you and then going to plains where you can see everything <laughs> for miles. Yeah. I actually used to have a job years ago where I traveled a lot. And so I flew out of Dallas and I've been to, I don't know, I think every state, but maybe six or seven. And I've been to probably 50 plus major cities in different parts of the country. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is because you could blindfold me and then tell me to open my eyes and I could tell you 100% within seconds if we were flying over Dallas because it's very obvious. It's so flat and, the, and it just looks, it looks so unique that I could pick it out any day. 
that's an awesome skill to have nowadays where we all uh, rely on GPSs. Can you tell us, can you tell us where, where you rose from the ashes of tragedy? Yes. You know, I mean, I've been through some things in my lifetime. I actually just turned 57 today. So happy birthday to me. And uh, so I've, I've been through some ashes before, you know, as a kid went through a pretty tough time when I was about 12 with my parents who had a break in their marriage and um, just really, really struggled. They separated for about a year and a half. My mom became suicidal and it just, it was a really rough patch in my life, but eventually they reconciled and I kind of came through that. And then my wife and I of almost 20 years have had a couple of rough spots leading up to very recent history, which I'll get to in a second where, you know, we, uh, we had a miscarriage, which, you know, there's probably a, a lot of your listeners that have experienced that. And, you know, even though it's a common experience in terms of just the sheer number of people who've experienced that, it's a very difficult thing to go through and, and it's painful. And so, you know, we rose from the ashes of that and, and, uh, continued and we're blessed with, uh, two of my sons after that. So I, I've had a series of events where I've had to rise from the ashes, but nothing uh, even remotely close to what we've been through the last few years. And um, first, before I even tell that story, Samantha, I'm so sorry about your mom. That's that's a really tough thing. And my heart goes out to you. And it's losing a loved one is something that we all think we all consciously are aware that it's going to happen if we live long enough, but it's never something we want to experience. And it's certainly never on our timeline. Right. And so for me, what happened is my oldest son uh, was a pretty remarkable young man. He was very motivated from the time he was very, very young. Um, also very intense. <laughs> and, and at times, uh, even at five years old, thought he knew better than you. You know, he was that kind of a kid. But he got really passionate about airplanes and flying around the age of eight years old. And so he held on to that. He wanted to be a pilot. He never let go of it. And then he got an opportunity when he was a freshman in high school to start pursuing that. And at the age of 16, he actually soloed in a plane for the first time before he even had a driver's license. So let that sink in for a second. And so he, he began to pursue that. And at the age of 17, he got his private pilot's license, you know, which, um, you know, there are other young people that have done that, but it's a small number at that age. And so very exciting. Um, we were thrilled for him. He was on a tremendous career path. And then on September 23rd of 2019, he was taking a friend. He needed to get hours, of course. That's what all pilots at that stage need to do. They need to fly a lot. And he needed some night hours. So he flew a friend home, or I should say back to school. They're from here in Dallas, but he flew her back home uh, to where she was going to school at University of Arkansas. And on the return trip, he ran into some unexpected weather going through a mountain range and ended up suffering from something they call spatial disorientation. Um, some of your listeners, or probably most of your listeners, are are familiar with a story similar, and that was Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant's uh, helicopter pilot, that's what happened to him as well. So it can happen to even the most experienced pilot. And so he ended up flying into uh, the side of a mountain and lost his life. And, you know, it was, it was a devastating blow. That night was a nightmare. You know, it took many hours to find out what had actually happened. If, you know, we... We had held out hope that he was okay, and there's a whole story behind that. But to your to your question, you know, we were we were forced into much like you, you know, being part of a story that you didn't choose. You know, uh, a club that you don't really want to belong to, if I could say it that way. And so, we began a journey. You know, we began a journey that was, um, albeit forced on us, but one that you only have two options when they happen to you. And that is you can just quit living. And I don't mean, and I don't mean, you know, physically, um, but you can just kind of check out emotionally, 
spiritually and even physically. Uh, you know, it can cause you to check out from your marriage. It can cause you to check out from your kids and your friends. You know, unfortunately, I've seen tragedies like this destroy people and destroy families. And so we just, we made a decision um, that morning, actually, to choose life. And Samantha, what that looked like was simply, I, I sat with my two, uh, my two younger boys didn't experience the entire night the way we did. They were asleep the whole night. And so when they finally got up, of course, we had to break the news to them, which is what I like to call the impossible conversation. And so when we sat down, I told them what happened. And of course, you know, we had to wait some moments uh, for the, for the tears to stop flowing and, you know, the, just an awful, you know, an awful experience of them being completely stunned. And, you know, how do you, how does a nine-year-old and a, and a 14-year-old wrap their brain around that? You know, it's, it's, it's hard. So I turned to them and I just said, listen, boys, here's what we're going to do. We've got two choices. We can choose to spend the rest of our lives focused on how Gabriel died. The tragedy side of it, you know, we can choose to focus on not having him around, all the things we're going to miss out on, or there's another choice. And that choice is we can choose to honor his life by the way he lived and live ours that way. Not doing the same things, you know, because he was passionate about different things, but just said, listen, we're going we're gonna to honor his life by living ourselves. And so whatever that looks like for each of us, that's what we're going to hold each other accountable to. And that kind of began the journey. Wow, that's, that's so powerful that you, you were a leader in choosing strength and to give life to his legacy and to encourage your kids to do the same. That must have been so hard. And thank you so much for acknowledging my mom. And I'm so deeply sorry for your loss as well. I know that it's just so unnatural for a parent to lose one of their, their children. How were you able to emotionally grasp what you needed to do and how you needed to be that rock for your family? I'm sure that it was really hard for you to not just be, succumb to your feelings, right? Right. No, that's that's a really great question, and it's probably a multi-layered answer, as you can imagine. You know, the the first night, and again, you can relate to this, as many of your listeners probably uh, will be able to as well, who have lost someone. You know, when you first get the news that that someone you didn't expect to pass passes away, it, it's it's shocking to your system. You know, you you. Nobody is truly prepared for that. I don't care, you know, and I'll, I'll say it to you this way. You know, I've, I've spent the last 20 years helping people in a lot of situations. I've been in hospital rooms, uh, for, with families for hours, helping them through a situation where a loved one was potentially going to pass away. And in a couple of cases passed away while I was there. And, you know, so try to help them through that. And, you know, that doesn't prepare you either. There's, there's nothing like it. It's, it's so intimate. It's so personal uh, when you lose someone and, you know, you, you said so accurately that it is unnatural when uh, a parent loses a young child, you know, and to me, Gabriel was still just a kid, you know, but loss is loss. And so it's not really something we, we compare, right? It's, there's, there's nothing to compare. It's just, there's a pain involved in that. So I first want to acknowledge to answer your question. I want to acknowledge that, you know, I didn't just puff myself up and just say, well, guess I just got to stand up and, and, you know, figure out what to do and make this happen and put on this false bravado. It wasn't like that at all. Um, Samantha, I felt like I mean, I was in the position to be the leader of my family, you know, uh, without question. So that, that was a role I chose before my kids were even born. However, I also understood that I needed to lead them in a way that I've never had to lead them before. And that is through 
deep emotional pain. So I think one of the first things I wouldn't say that I did, but I allowed myself to do is probably a better way to say it was I cried a lot. You know, I cried. I, I talked about how I was feeling as well. Another thing I think that's important to know, and this is partly an answer to your question as well, is after we had that conversation about just choosing a, a life posture was I said, and, you know, we don't know how each of us is going to respond to this emotionally. We don't know what we're going to go through f- over the next few days, weeks, months, years. And so we made a pact as a family. And the way I explained it to the boys was, is anything you're going to feel, you need to know it's okay. So if that's pain and just hurt, that's okay. You need to feel through that. If it's anger, it's okay. You need to feel through that. If it's fear, it's okay. You can feel your way through that. It just didn't matter what the emotion was. And I told them the same is going to be true for my bride's name is Amaryllis, for Amaryllis and I, that we were going to do the same thing. And so I think that was a really key part of how I led my family through the beginning stages of that is that, and this is the way we say it. And it's a quote in my book is it was okay. And it still is, by the way, three years later, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to not be okay alone. And and so that was, I think, really a critical part of us beginning that journey and me being the leader of the family, uh, setting the tone for that. I love how you put it, that it's okay to feel. Because in the past when I was mourning and people would say, it's okay, I guess I would used to misinterpret it as if like it's a part of life like to accept it but when you put it like it's okay to be angry it's okay to be sad it's okay to cry it's like brings a lot of healing to know that you're validated and justified in your reaction and I feel like the most pain comes when we hold it back and we don't let ourselves feel these things and we just mask it so I thank you for phrasing it the way that you did because it reaches my my heart and my head different than just saying it's okay in general. Yeah. Well, what you just said was profound. It really is. You know, I think it's interesting because again, because of my, just what I do for a living and and my role in helping people over the years, being on this side of it obviously was a new experience with something so extreme, this kind of a loss. Right. And so, you know, these last few years I've Again, <laughs> it's a story that you didn't want to be a part of, but you are now, right? And so I've experienced how people treat that and how they respond to you. And I, I think one of the things that, well, let me, if if I could back up for one second, let me say this first. I think 99% of people are loving and well-meaning. It can be very difficult to know what to say to someone who's really suffering, especially from the loss of a loved one or even a, a, you know, really a divorce after many, many years of marriage or, you know, COVID, obviously we know uh, besides the loss of life, which was the most significant thing that happened during it, people lost their careers. They lost, uh, you know, their savings, they lost all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot of forms of loss that are significant. Right. And I think what happens is, is, People want to help you. They want to say something. But unless you fully understand what someone is going through, and I say that with the caveat that you can't exactly understand it. Like you and I both have suffered a major loss, but I I can't feel what you feel any more than you can feel what I feel, right? So it's never exactly the same, but at least we can relate to the loss, right? And so I think people want to say something. They want to help but they don't know what that is. And so they just say whatever comes out of their mouth. And and sometimes it's not helpful what comes out of their mouth, right? And then the second thing that happens, which I think you just described, is they will, they'll want you, they'll want to help you get through that emotion as fast as possible. Like if you're crying, they're there, there, don't cry, don't cry. It's okay, it's okay. 
And again, very well-meaning, just not very helpful. Because we need to embrace our emotions. We're emotional beings. You know, we're, we're human. <laughs> That's our common thread. Even though we all have different beliefs about certain things and different backgrounds and experiences and, you know, the, the diversity, you know, you could draw up a pretty long list, right? But we're all human. We're all emotional beings. It's the way we were created. So um, I just think there's a there's a inherent value when you're going through something really hard of allowing yourself to feel the emotion. Now that said, and, and I want to I want to hear your thoughts. Um, that said, what I'm talking about specifically is feeling your emotions in the moment, not allowing those emotions to rule your entire life. I can feel angry for a period of time over what happened to my son, but if I let it go beyond probably an hour or two, it may take over my life. I can weep because I'm feeling something. My, my son Gabriel would have turned 21 on the 10th just a few days ago. Okay. I sat here and I wept because I, I wanted to have that experience of, you know, celebrating that milestone with him. So I, I allowed that. But then you have to you have to move into a new emotion to move your life forward. Clint, how, how can we develop the self-control to not be ruled by our emotions? I personally dealing with trauma and this experience, when I was healing through it, it was very hard to not look at something that reminded me of my loved one or my loss and then let that kind of bring down my entire day. So how can we develop the strength to give ourselves an hour to feel what we're feeling, but also dial it back so that we can function? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a powerful question. Um, I want to start with saying first and foremost that if you end up having a bad day or a bad week, that's okay too. I mean, the last thing you want to do is start beating yourself up and uh, judging yourself or, you know, being critical of yourself for going into a day or, a t you know, two days or, or even a week or whatever. Um, but even, even when we fall into that, we recognize logically and, and emotionally that staying there isn't going to take us where we want to go, you know? So I think for me, I can, I can speak more from person. Well, I want to speak from personal experience. Now I've helped a lot of people and I can, you know, share some stories if that's where we wanted to go. But I think for me, give you a real example. Okay. He was a pilot. You know that now. So we live very close to the small municipal airport that he flew out of. And so we have planes like his flying over our house every day. So Every time I see a plane, there's a potential trigger. And by the way, you know, and you and I both know this, and, and so do your listeners who have suffered this kind of a loss, you don't need a trigger, right? I mean, we can we can think of our loved one at any moment, at any second. And so triggers are not necessary, but they are there. You know, they're out there. So what I had to do was when I would see that, and to this day, I flip it to where instead of allowing myself to feel pain or even anger, anything that's not going to help me heal, I flip the switch. And so for me, a plane's a good example because I think about how much my son loved being in the air. He was in the air, I mean, as much as he possibly could. He, he, he was a joyful guy. He, he did a lot of other things. He was an amazing photographer. He taught himself guitar. He's just... He was the uh, consummate overachiever, but he loved being in the air more than anything. So I just think about the joy that he, ex that he uh, experienced as he was flying. And I, I understand to some people that may sound too simple or contrite, but I really believe it's a, uh, it's a coping mechanism that really helps. You know, it, that kind of gives me or gives you some, uh, a clear example of what I mean by choosing life over death. You know, if, if, if I have a what I call a death mentality, then every time I see a plane, I'm going to experience that death over and over again and and grieve it in a way 
that takes me down a, a place emotionally that I don't want to go. I don't want to live in, you know, the life perspective is, man, he got to live his dream. Wow. It's amazing. You know, I'm looking at him. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> nobody can see this, but me, there's two pictures that he took at one of the biggest air shows in the world that are both planes. So I'm looking at planes right now. They're, that are flying. So that's one, that's one way. Thank you. And that that's so strong. And you're right because we, we have to find the best lens to honor the memory of our loved ones. And I love that you took a trigger that could be a, a path down to PTSD and made it into a memorial to something that honors his memory. And it's so strong that you see that he was doing what he loved and this was his dream. And I have so much respect for you. How, how was it like navigating through your pain to find your purpose? Yeah, well, you know, I gave away my age, age a minute ago, so I'm, I'm not old, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm not young anymore either, right? And so, you know, I've been helping people for over 20 years. So it's not like that part of my purpose changed. Those things are already in me. It's a passion to help people. It always has been. Um, heck, even when I was young and didn't really have any wisdom to offer people, I still wanted to help. You know, I probably wasn't very effective back then, but it was just part of who I was. Right. And so my purpose didn't really change in that regard. But I think the answer to that question relates to what we were just talking about as well. You know, I, I was in my case, I was faced with a very unwanted and strange task of not only living out my own purpose and destiny and creating a legacy that I want to leave behind, but also to carry my, my son Gabriel's forward as well. And so I began to look at ways that I could do that. I, in the book, I, I have a chapter called giving your pain a purpose. And that's, that's what part of that journey was, was it was like, okay, what, what am I going to do with this? Cause if you don't tell pain where to go, it's going to take you where you don't want to go. And so I began to just think about, you know, what are some things I could do? And so I, I, I'm a personal development coach now. Now, for most of the last 20 years, that was not my official title or role in how I help people. I was a pastor on staff at churches for many, many years, and that's where most of my coaching and mentoring took place. But for many years, I'd always felt um, confined, if you will, to, to that kind of a setting. <clears throat> and I wanted to be able to help a broader group of people. And so I had thought about being a personal development coach for many, many years. And so when Gabriel passed away because of the way he lived his life, and I'd love to share with you how Big Bull Brave even came to existence here in, in a few minutes, but, but he was so passionate about just chasing after his dreams and taking risks and, you know, not, not allowing fear to, to dictate what he was going to do and new experiences and all those things. And I realized that even though I had been someone who had lived big, bold, and brave at times, there were pockets of my life where there was fear, where there was fear. So I used his legacy, his energy, his way about going, uh, going about life to fuel me. The roles were reversed, if you will, you know, where I, where, where I was, I'd like to say, you know, that my role as a dad was to always to inspire my boys. Well, in this case, the role flipped, he inspired me. And so that's what led me to decide to launch my personal development company and, and start doing a lot more of that. And then through that, actually, that's ultimately why I ended up deciding to write the book as well, so that I could put something together that, that could really help a lot of people. Please tell us about your book. Yeah, well, the book. So, okay. So the book, thank you. I, I did want to share how Big Bull Brave even came about. And the reason why I want to share this, I, I, I want your listeners to, 
to be very conscious of what they're thinking right now. I mean, I know they're listening to my voice, but I mean, what, what's going on in their own mind, their own imagination right now, because especially those who have maybe lost someone or had just a severe loss and they're like trying to figure out, okay, how do I kickstart and start over? Or maybe I don't feel like I'm starting over, but how do I push past and grow into the person that I know I want to be and do the things I really want to do? Um, pay attention to little subtle cues, words that stand out, things that just make you go, hmm, maybe there's something to that. Because what happened was that the morning after Gabriel's crash, um, because of his age, it had become, well, ultimately it became national news. And so the uh, local NBC affiliate reached out to me and wanted to do an interview. And of course, this is the morning after, like literally not even 24 hours later. And so I was like, oh, excuse me. Oh, hell no. You know, <laughs> there was like, no way. I can't do it. And so at the very end of it, uh, she was super sweet. Her name was Katie. And she was very kind about it, I should say. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, that may sound kind of blunt, almost rude, but it, she really was very kind. And she just said at the end, she goes, well, if you change your mind, I just want you to know we have to run a story on this. But if you'll let me do the interview, then you can tell it your way and you can say what you want about your son and your family. And so we hung up and I had my wife was there. My father-in-law was already here. Um, and so we had a quick conversation and it was my father-in-law who really suggested, I think you should do it. You know, if you want to carry his legacy forward, this may be your first chance, something like that. I'm like, okay. So I did it. So we do this interview in our living room and somewhere in there, Samantha, I don't even remember saying it, but I used the term, he lived big, bold, and brave. And that was not a, a term that I'd ever used before. And again, I, as I sit with you here today, I don't consciously remember saying it. But what happened was, is the, the reporter didn't air me saying it. She ended up using it at the end of that segment because they did a full segment on his life. And she ended up saying at the very end of the broadcast, um, his parents encourage you to live your life like Gabriel, big, bold, and brave. And something just stood out. You know, it just... It, there's just this subtle cue that for us, there was some sort of life in, in that phrase, you know? And so it, it didn't immediately become anything, you know? I, I mean, it was the day after my son passed away. It was the last thing on my mind to build anything or grow anything or write a book or anything like that, obviously. But there was something about the phrase. And so what happened was, and maybe this is something that could help your listeners, you know, there may be a very special memory or even a quote or something that, you know, our loved one used to say, I mean, who knows, there's maybe you've had a dream or something. And so for me, it was that phrase. And so it became a family mantra. And so that's how we kind of gave uh, language to each one of us is going to honor his life by living ours, big, bold, and brave. And so <laughs> not long after that, I started designing a tattoo. So you should know, uh, I now have two, but at the time I was 54 years old and tattooless. And so I had this vision for this tattoo with a big bold brave. And that was the first <laughs> exercise in doing something with the phrase, which is kind of funny in, in and of itself, but it was just something I wanted to do for me. It was a, it's a, it's a constant reminder when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling lesser than when I'm feeling like an imposter and I'm not really, you know, any good at what I do, whatever, whatever it is. I, I, I mean, I put it somewhere where I can't miss it. Right. And it just reminds me to keep pushing, keep living, keep stepping, keep moving forward, you know? And so eventually it ended up becoming the name of the personal development company that I would start. And, uh, and then the name of the book. I love when I go to the gym and I see smoothie bars. However, I don't love smoothie bar prices. With my BlendJet 2 Portable Blender, I can make smoothie bar quality beverages for a fraction of the price, right before or after my workout. Blend anytime, 
anywhere with BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code ORGANICMATRIX12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. How, how did self-awareness support you during this healing process and when, during the time you were coaching? Yeah, so I think an important aspect to the way I personally walk this out and that I think anybody um, listening to this needs to do if they're not doing it now is you can't do this alone. You can't do this alone. You know, for me, I was very, very fortunate. You know, I have a very strong marriage um, that I've had for almost 20 years now. And so, you know, I, I already spoke of the agreement that we made that first morning. And so we've, we've allowed that to take place organically in the moment. And so, you know, I think bringing someone in that you trust and love, obviously it doesn't have to be a spouse and that's not going to be the case for everybody. Um, but whether it's, whether it is a, a, a spouse or, you know, a, a friend or some sort of a mentor or maybe a, a, a family member, you know, whoever it is, you need someone to be on this journey with you. We all do. I don't think, think that's anything profound, right? But if you're not intentional about that, if, if you don't allow for that to take place by setting aside time and having what I like to call courageous conversations, you know, talking things through and digging deep and not, not just, Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Oh, okay, good. All right, we're all good. Yeah, we're good. You know, really asking thoughtful questions, you know, what simple example. And this is where, again, we've held each other accountable is December 10th was his birthday, you know, 21st birthday. So I waited for the morning to go along a little bit and we had our coffees and all that. And then I went up to my wife and I just said, how are you doing? And she's done the same for me, you know? So you need people in your life that one are willing to ask you what probably feels like hard questions, right? But the second piece of that is these people also need to be people who are prepared to listen and are okay with whatever your answer is and don't necessarily try to talk you out of it. Now, now there could be, you know, an extreme example of this. Obviously, if, if we, you know, have someone that is a loved one or someone that we're uh, close to and they have suicidal thoughts and things like that, that's, that's kind of a different category, right? And those need to be handled with extra care. But generally speaking, you just, they have to be someone who don't want to talk you out of it. They just want to hear. And I think you said it earlier, allow you to be heard and just your thoughts and your feelings and what you want to, you know do with them and what you're thinking about today and next week and whatever it happens to be. So those are, those are a couple, I think really key things that help me continue to function in the things that I need to function in. Right. Cause life doesn't stop. That's the thing that you know, well about tragedy, right? You know, I, one of the things I wrote in the book that I don't know if it's as, <laughs> if it's as profound to everybody as it is to me, but I write about the fact that, we had to make a decision because it was during the school year and that even though this tragedy just happened, it was still Tuesday, still a work day, still a school day, you know, life doesn't stop for us. So I think finding, finding someone to bring into, you know, your, your pain or your process, you know, it doesn't have to even be pain. If you're confused about your direction in life, if you're, you're just not sure about this relationship, whatever, you know, having someone that you can be sure that's going to ask you the hard questions, not just stuff that <laughs> they, they're not afraid of your answer and they, they think you want to hear, right? And are willing to, to truly hear the answer is, is really important. I love that you said that we shouldn't talk our friends out of what their thoughts are and that we should be there to listen. I think that's such a big, important thing, because 
I don't know if it's the technology or the pandemic of us not being social with one another in person as often as we would be. But I'm seeing that like conversation becomes difficult with other people where a lot of us get tongue tied and we have no idea what to say or how to support others. And I noticed that it's it's common for people to introduce their ideas or their perspective on what should be right or how someone should process something. Can you give us a little example of like how it's like to be a supportive friend for someone who's going through loss and what's a good response and what's a supportive response? Yeah, well, that's that's multi-layered, right? So there's there's a lot to that. And it can be somewhat situational, but I think there's a couple of, you know, core things that, that you can do. I think the first one is when, especially if we're talking about a tragedy, right? My son dying in a plane crash, you know, that's a tragedy. Your mom passing away with COVID, that's a tragedy. You know, those, those are really intense situations. So in the early stage, and that's where I can't put a formula to it. I can't, I can't tell your listeners an exact timeline to this. But in the very early stage, all we need someone to say is, I love you and I'm here if you need anything. That's what we need. We don't need philosophy. We don't need um, a five step plan in the midst of our pain. You know, we don't need someone to tell us how, how they suffered the same thing going to this long discourse on their whole story. Uh, all, all we really need is listen, I love you and I'm here if you need anything. Because the truth is, is often in those early stages, I call it the shock and awe phase. I really believe the first year is still the shock and awe phase. You you don't even know what you need and you don't need to make a decision. (laughs) You don't need to make a decision yet. You just need to be able to get through today. So I think that's one important aspect to how you can really help somebody in the early stage is just, just be present. Don't introduce too many ideas on what you think they need. Right. But there will come a time when, you know, that person is clearly moving through their grief and, and, and you're going to know because they're going to start to ask questions or they're going to start to talk to you in a way that's very clear. They're, you know, having a conversation that's forward moving. Right. So when that happens, I think I think asking great questions is always the best way to support someone. You know, even with what I do, and this I guess this is kind of the giveaway and the little secret behind the curtain, right? But the truth is, I very rarely tell anybody what to do. <laughs> it's just a, a rare occasion because more often than not the answer's locked in there already and but you're just you're trapped in an emotion you're trapped in confusion you're trapped in the stresses of life uh, maybe you're venturing into something brand new and you just don't know everything about it yet so you know asking great questions you know so if we're talking losing a loved one it's like hey how how's it going today what how are you feeling what are you thinking about today you know it could be just that simple could be something like, hey, let's say we've had the conversation about giving your pain a purpose, right? Hey, so what kind of ideas have you thought of? Is there anything in your heart and your spirit right now that you feel like it's something you want to kind of think about and talk about? You know, just just great questions. Thank you. I, I love that you mentioned great questions because I with we were to personify love, I would feel like it would look like questions because it's like we're telling the other person how much we care by opening up that avenue for them to consider and questions save people like I was before I recovered from the losing my mom I had a mentor of mine like ask me if I was happy doing a joyous task what would that task be and then I closed my eyes and I was like searching my brain and once I realized I didn't know what that looked like it helped me it helped me like figure out what I want my future to look like without what I currently have without the negative connotation to it more like I want to feel joy again what does that look like and the only reason why I was able to find that was because somebody asked me that question so I'm very I'm very grateful that you brought up 
the healing powers of question asking because it's it's a it's like it shouldn't be a secret but it's like a secret power <laughs> yeah that's so good i'm glad you brought that up it's just so good yeah i just <laughs> i just think you know listening is a skill that can be developed and the truth and i and i haven't always been a great listener either so i'll be the first to say that but um, partly because of what I do and partly because of who I wanted to become, I learned how to be a great listener, you know? So I think the encouragement there is, is that even if you're listening right now and you're like, I'm probably not a very good listener, you know, that doesn't have to be your identity. You can change it. You know, you can learn how to listen because people who ask great, I, I've never, I'll say it this way. I've never met anyone is prolific at asking great questions that isn't also a absolutely and honestly like being a podcasting host i noticed that the best questions really do come from how much i'm paying attention to what my guest is saying because being in the present moment with somebody is is like a it's like a euphoria when you feel like completely connected to somebody else's like matrix, it feels like you're not alone in the world. And then like, there's a magic to it. Completely agree. Yeah. I, that word magic. I love that. It's true. Cause that's what it feels like when you make a connection, you know, that's how we're made as humans. You know, when we make a connection with another human being, it just, it does something for us that there is no substitute for. It's the only thing that can bring you that pure, just internal joy, right? I totally agree. You shared a lot of great lessons for us today. And I would just like to like lock it in for our listeners. What are the top three lessons you learned healing from this experience? Great question and probably a challenging one, right? But I think, I think there's a few things that have stood out. Um, the first one is probably the most obvious in the sense that it's something that we all say all the time. But when someone close to you passes away, you immediately recognize how precious time really is. Now, we don't always follow up that thought with intentional living the way we should to value our time every day. Because that's that's a strategy. That's a, you know that's a, a way of going about your day and about your life that needs to be intentionalized for that to be something that you just you know walk in on a regular basis. But I think that's the definite first thing that happens. And so for me, I would say time being precious was huge, huge, and just not wanting to waste any more of it. You know, and to be fair, you know I don't want I want anybody to judge themselves. Listen, I've had plenty of days where I've looked back and go, man, I really wasted today. I didn't accomplish anything. You know, I mean, that's that happens, right? But but I'm aware, I'm self-aware that we are not guaranteed. You and I aren't even guaranteed the minute we get off this call. You know, I mean, we just don't know. Nobody knows. So time is precious. I would say another thing that, that goes along with that is one of the things that happen, and I would say, it started to happen probably within the first few months of our really intense grieving during that shock and awe stage is we began to realize that the people that we allowed into our inner circle were going to be very important with how well we would walk out that process and even where we wanted to go with our life. And so we began to look at that. You know, I, I have a... <laughs> may or may not like my title. I have a title of a chapter that's called uh, Boundaries and Parasites. And I was being offensive on purpose, you know, a little bit. Because the truth is, is sometimes we do have relationships in our lives that are like really toxic or they just drag on you and you don't have to stay in it. Or you can at least do something about it and, and come to, you know, terms with how we can make this particular relationship healthier, right? So that was, that was a big key for me and, and has been for these last three years is just really being intentional about who I'm allowing into my inner circle because I still have to 
talk to people and I end up in situations I don't necessarily want to be in or I, you know, don't necessarily want to engage in, but life, you know, just happens that way where you end up with sometimes situations that you have to deal with. Right. Um, but if, if the lion's share of your life is being intentional with those people that you really value and you know, really value you. And I have a series of questions that I use to, to, easily determine who those people are then then that's going to be really helpful really helpful and then i think that the third thing from this experience is really just has to do with fear you know anytime we have suffered pain whatever the pain then what automatically happens is we don't want to suffer it again right so there there's a fear that can happen that keeps us paralyzed and not wanting to move forward in certain ways. Like, you know, for example, with someone like us who have lost a loved one, there are many people who then spend the rest of their lives very fearful to love anybody again, like wholeheartedly love people. And so they begin to make decisions, whether it's subconsciously or consciously to block people out and, and keep people at an arm's distance and maintain a very low level of intimacy. Right. And so that is a form of fear. You know, if I could say this, I'll, I'll say it quickly because I know we're probably running out of time here. But to me, I think it's pretty clear in life there are two hierarchies of emotions. One is love. And I'll, I'll for sake of time, I'll say this. Anything good, any good emotion, any good action, any good word spoken, is going to be some sort of a derivative of love, right? And then the other hierarchy is fear. And from fear comes every other thing that's the bane of humanity, whether it's racism, whether it's hatred, whether it's violence, you know, pick one. So there's love and there's fear. And the beautiful thing about that is, is we actually get to choose which one we value the most, right? And so I think reminding myself of that and I, and I try to be um, as aware as I can in any given moment, whether it's a random thought or if it's something new I'm going to do, like, you know, I'd never written a book before. I try to smell out fear as fast as I can. And then I just force myself to, to and I may even say it to myself, what would love do? Mm. And then act on it. Wow, that's that's so powerful. And when you mentioned fear and how it can manifest itself, and what the first question that popped into my head is, why is it that our natural reaction is to when we're when we have fear is to manifest the fear itself? I it's just it always confused me that we develop this feeling of fear for survival, and when it, we end up using it, it ends up sabotaging us. Why do you think that it's our first reaction to kind of manifest our fears? Is it like a sense of control? Because when you mentioned people pushing others away because of the fear of intimacy, I've personally experienced that with my mom's loss. It, that really hit, hit me hard when you said that. And it kind of gave me more clarity around the situation because it made me realize that when I was pushing away my loved ones and, and isolating myself instead of getting that support, I was kind of giving people an early passing without me realizing it because I was lacking the joy and intimacy and building memories with my loved ones in fear of losing them in the future. How can we stop ourselves from self-sabotaging with fear and why do you think it's an instinct for us to do that to ourselves? Yeah. So the, the instinct, we're only going to be able to go so deep on this because it's, you know, you can, you can read some stuff on neuroscience and, and how our brain actually was created and how it functions, how it works. And that's going to give you some of that answer. And so there's, there's a lot of depth to the way that happens biologically. But, but the simple part of that is, is simply that experiences and how we feel, especially the emotion we feel coming out of that experiences, 
informs our brain. And so then our brain begins to create certain thought patterns. And so then any time in the future when anything even remotely close to that, and it doesn't even have to be the same thing, but anything that invokes a fear or a worry or anxiety or whatever, there's already a pathway in your brain that has been burnt in that tells you, oh, this is how we respond to it. And so you do. That's why so often people react and respond and, and do things. And then maybe even in private go, private go, why, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why do I keep doing that? Why, why, why? I mean, I know why all my relationships keep imploding. Why do I keep doing blank, 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 right? And that's the simple answer. It's because you were programmed to do that from an earlier experience of pain and fear. Now, what's awesome about that, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't even have brought that up. I wouldn't leave your listeners with no hope, right? If there wasn't a remedy to that. And what neuroscience is proving to us is that your brain can be completely rewired. So I loved you used the word self-aware earlier. And so that's a part of the answer is we have to become self-aware enough. And sometimes self-awareness, like we talked about bringing other people into our lives, Sometimes being self-aware is a really good friend making us aware of it. And then we receive it as truth. And so now we're self-aware that I have a propensity to do that, right? Um, but you can absolutely train your brain through experiencing new emotions and new thoughts. And then when you do it for a period of time, just like the old pattern created life scenarios you didn't like, you're going to begin to create new patterns that create a life you you do want and you do enjoy. And you're going to function emotionally and intellectually and and communicate in a way that that makes you feel good. Thank you, Clint. That clears things up a lot for me. And I hope that clears up a lot for our Matrix members as well. Can you tell us about your coaching program and how our listeners can find you if they want to work with you? Yeah, the easiest way to find me is going to my website, which is bigboldbrave.us. And for all your listeners that are like really nitpicky, yes, I understand that's actually .us, but it's a really simple play on words because <laughs> part of my mission is collaborating with people just like we're doing here today, right? So it's bigboldbrave.us. And on the website, it's just really easy. All my social media channels are on there. So you can find that there if you want to find me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And then, of course, um, my coaching program is on there. And I'm working on some new things. I'm actually working on an event that I want to do next year that is not ready yet. Um, but that's going to be another thing I'll make available. The book, of course, they can learn a little bit more about the book. I encourage them if if this story has been an inspiration at all and uh, you've enjoyed this conversation, then there's also a book trailer on there, a video that I had created that gives you a little bit of the story. And it's pretty cool. You see some real imagery of Gabriel flying and some of the pictures and and uh, you see a little bit more about our family. It's only three minutes long. Don't worry. It's not a, it's not a movie. Um, but that's that's a great way to connect to and know a little bit more about why I'm doing what I'm doing. Thank you so much, Glenn. And are you short on time at all? Okay, cool. I did have one thing. I, I don't want to. Well, let me stop there first because I, I had one thing that I thought would be good to mention based on our part of our conversation a little bit ago. But if you had something specific, I didn't want to stop you. Oh, please. I'm good on time, too. So if you would like to bring it up, I would love to bring it on. And it's and it's going to be quick. I just we talked about giving your pain a purpose. And, you know, there there are so many examples of that out there. But again, sometimes we just get stuck in ourselves. But that's one thing I really encourage your listeners to think about is, again, especially with the loss of someone that was dear to them. You know, what are some ways that you could turn around and give your pain a purpose? And when I say give a give your pain a purpose, and I didn't say this earlier, what I mean is, is how do I, it's not turning a negative into a positive, right? Because there's, 
there's nothing that will replace your mom. There's nothing that will replace my son. You know, this isn't replacement. But giving your pain a purpose can cause you to do things that bring you joy again. And secondly, and to me, the as important, help other people. So I, I, I do this in the book. There's, there's a bunch of examples. I'll give you a couple of quick ones here is one of the things we did was he had earned a scholarship. It's one of the things that helped pay for him to be able to actually have airtime uh, when he was learning how to fly. And so one of the first things we did was there was an organization who reached out to us and want to know if we'd be willing to attach his name to a scholarship they were giving out. And they gave us the option of who it was going to go to and have some influence over that. So now we've started what's going to turn into an annual scholarship for a young person that's pursuing an aviation career. That's one way. For someone else, it may be, you know, I, I lost a dear friend about a year, well, I guess almost two years ago now, to cancer, right? And we all know there's cancer's wicked and there's many forms of it. You know, it could be you're supporting just by donating to cancer research. It could be you start some sort of a, a group. Um, and maybe it's a Facebook group or maybe it's a, a group where you meet in your home once a month or whatever, a support group to just help people talk through and process and, and um, you know, move forward in their life. I mean, there's just so many ways that you could give your pain a purpose. And I just want to encourage your listeners, don't wait on that one. Find something as soon as you can and just start stepping towards it because it's a it's a really really healthy part of the healing process, and it's going to go a long way with helping you experience more joy than those painful moments that we're going to have when at times when we remember you know our our lost loved one. Thank you so much, Clint. I love your advice. I feel like you're empowering so many people because I empower I feel empowered now thinking like feeling like I have more control over how I react to these things so we're hitting the end of our podcast episode and I have three rapid fire questions for you my wife my wife because then I think I <laughs> that's so funny because you had sent me this question to be fair and I didn't really think about it on purpose because I like like what really comes to your heart when pressure's on, it'd be my wife. What better way could I truly recognize? Am I as good a husband as I think I am? You know, what, what, what? <laughs> I, and I ask her a lot, you know, I, I ask her more often than you might think we have little meetings, like, how am I doing as a husband? How am I doing as a wife? So we do talk about those kinds of things, but yeah, my wife. I love that answer. You must be a great husband because it's already you're considering it. <laughs> you could trade places with a celebrity or a character in a movie. Which character would you choose to be? Hmm. Gosh, there's there's probably a bunch, but I'm just going to go with the first image that popped into my head. And I'm not even a big Tom Brady fan necessarily, but I totally respect. I'm a I'm a big football guy. I would love to know what it's like to have won seven Super Bowls. That's, and just to be that great. And he's 45 years old playing with guys half his age. I think that would be fun to experience. Mostly so I could learn some of his thought processes and how he approaches things because there's something about his strategies in life that has created that kind of success. Maybe one day you get to meet him on Podmatch. I hope so. Good. What do you often daydream about? Yeah, daydreaming. Gosh, I don't know that I would call myself much of a daydreamer. And I don't know if I'm just not self-aware <laughs> on that one. But I think when I do catch myself uh, with what I guess you would define as a daydream is probably has to do with travel because we love to travel. So I do find myself thinking about, you know, us, what it'd be like if we went to Greece next year or, you know, my wife is from the Caribbean. She's Puerto Rican. So anytime we can be in the Caribbean, we love that, you know. So that's probably the thing I daydream about the most, I think, is just travel and experiences. I love that. 
Thank you so much, Clint, for sharing your wisdom. And do you have any last words of advice for our Matrix members? Yeah, I think, you know, even the word advice, it's fine you use that word, of course. Even the word advice, I'm always a little bit cautious of because, again, I don't know there's much value in me telling anybody what they should do or think. But I would say this, ask yourself, sit down with yourself, schedule it in the next week, you know, schedule at least 30 minutes. Maybe, maybe you need an hour, but sit down with yourself and ask yourself some really great questions. Things like, do I love what I'm doing? Does what for a living, um, do the relationships that I'm in right now bring me great value? If they do, who are they and why do they? If they don't, who are they and why don't they? Just sit down with yourself and ask yourself a series of really great questions. And here's what's going to happen. The first few you come up with are going to be probably hard. And they're almost never the really good ones. You, usually great questions come after asking a few good but not as good questions and so you do this exercise you sit down you start asking yourself some 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 you know courageous questions and i think you're going to find yourself going into a place where you go pretty deep with yourself and then be willing to do something about it be willing to do something about it if you need to bring in a mentor or a coach or a friend or a parent or whatever you know be ready to take action and take some action thank you so much Glenn. i look forward to hearing some more of your podcasts in the future i hope you have a very special birthday thank you for sharing this day with me and also being i love that i'm your first podcast host that you're working with so this, i hope this was a great experience for you oh it's been a lot of fun i've enjoyed it and it was a pleasure getting to meet you and um, you're just such a sweet, kind person. It was something that even listening to your podcast uh, to prepare for this, it was very obvious to me. So I love your passion for people. I love your willingness to learn. You know, that's a big part of what I do. I, I really believe great coaches are only great coaches because they're, they want to learn constantly. They're constantly on the search to keep growing and and I see that in you and I know you're helping a lot of people and so I just I can't thank you enough for allowing me to be a part of, of your podcast it's an honor thank you so much if you're inspired to take steps of action towards the life you want and feel called to work with and if you feel called to work with Clint visit his website www.bigboldbrave.us all feedback is welcome and helps us serve our fellow Matrix members. To stay up to date with our Matrix mentors and what we have in store for you, bookmark our website and subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. It was great to have you with us on the Organic Matrix show and we'll be seeing you on the next download.